is my privilege to, uh, to introduce to you our speaker today. And I've been friends with Britt Hancock for many, many years, Britt and Audrey for 20 years. Um, and I, in that 20 years, I have watched them in their ministry and in their missionary work. They spent 15 years in Mexico um, in, in missions work, really going into the most difficult places going beyond the urban centers and into the villages that have never been touched with the true gospel of Jesus. And they have seen so many things. They have seen crazy things. They've seen witch doctors do weird things to people. They've seen God heal people in the face of the, the torment that they've, they're experiencing in those villages. They've seen people raised from the dead. There has been an incredible work that has gone on in them and around them and through them. And I'm so grateful for that. And I want you to see this picture of what they've experienced because it's different than, than most of our experience in 21st century American church. And I think it's important for each one of us to hear from somebody outside our culture, outside our realm, to help make sure we have a good perspective. Because here's the truth, if it works, in those villages, it can work here, right? And I think, I, I think one, of our, one of our issues is we get myopic, right. and we start thinking church is one thing, we start thinking God's all about this, when really there's a worldwide movement going on, and Jesus is doing something in those villages that I think we need here. Amen. And that's why I've asked him to come and speak to us. But I want, you, I want you to open your heart to him because I think the message that I have received from Britt and Audrey over years and their whole family, the thing that I've seen in them, what I have experienced has been such a blessing to me and I want you to experience that same thing. So would you open your heart and give a huge One Chapel welcome to my friend Britt Hancock. Howdy. How y'all doing? I'm from Alabama. <laughs> so I'm a redneck, hillbilly, missionary, Mexican, somebody, something. <laughs> uh, we have been around here for a few months. We've been in America this year more months than we have in the last 15 years, and so I appreciate your patience with us. I can assure you I've had patience with you. <laughs> Boy, that's truer than you know. But here's, here's can I tell them about what's happening with you and sure, how you guys are? Sure. I think it's so important for you guys to hear. They've been kind of preparing. They've been shifting gears in their ministry to do something that God's called them to do for many years, and that is to raise up and train new missionaries to go in the darkest and most unreached places where the gospel hasn't penetrated. And so they're getting ready and they're launching the first class of missionaries that have been recruited and they're going to be trained and then placed and then ongoing pastoring of those missionaries. Now that, my friends, is a worthy goal because what we're doing is we are accomplishing what Jesus told us when he said, you need to go into Judea and Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. I want to be part of something like that. How about you? And that's why we're partnering with Mountain Gateway and with the Hancock family. And I'm pretty excited. And that's what they've been doing around here the last few months, getting ready to launch this uh, new expression of something they've believed for many, many years. All right? It's good. Awesome. Um, we are... Pioneer Church planting Great Commission missionaries. And that means we go into places where the gospel is not established. And, uh, and the result of our effort, the Lord's blessed us and we get to see people meet Jesus and, and uh, engage in the very difficult process of disciple making. Because that's the commission, you know. It's not to, uh, to make converts, that's easy. Making disciples is the hard thing. Disciples are made, they're not born. It starts with a new birth, and we're going to be talking about that. Um, but disciples are made just like good kids are raised. And if you can start thinking about 
the gospel and because that's really where we're going here is we want to we want this place to make true disciples and just cause we can gather a crowd and and enjoy the presence of God doesn't mean we have a bunch of disciples together and so we really are headed there and um I want to talk to us today about the reason for the death of the Lord Jesus. Why did he die? How about this? Jesus died to reconcile relationship, not compile a religious system. And he's given each one of us the commission, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation and so let me let me see i got to get all my qualifiers out of the way um please i want you to hear i want you to catch what i'm saying and i don't want you to think i'm saying something that i'm not you might think that i'm saying not to study the bible i'm not I think we ought to study the Word and eat it as much as we can. But we need to put it in order. And this 40-day thing that, that uh, Pastor Ross is fixing to lead the church into, do it with all your heart. All right? That's about as good as qualifiers I can give you. <laughs> now y'all are really wondering what I'm fixing to say, aren't you? I want to talk to you about the difference between relationship and religion. Okay, so what is religion? Belief without relationship. Philosophy without power. Doctrine without life. Humor without joy. Knowledge without understanding. Wisdom without the divine. That's what religion does to you. And maybe some of you are sitting there going, wow, I never thought of it that way. But I feel like some of that's going on inside me. Well, you know what? Let me tell you something. Hope never disappoints. And hope in Jesus is never false. And if you are breathing, that's Jesus telling you He intends to work with you still. There's more. It doesn't make any difference what's happened. He's the judge. If he decides to stop your life and end it and make a judgment about how you've lived, that's his business. But if you're still breathing, that's him saying to you, he wants something else for you. He wants more for you. The Holy Spirit every single day is pulling on us and drawing us to change and to move and to come into us. And we need to respond to him. We need to resist the devil and submit to God. We don't need to resist the Holy Spirit. Alright? I have a bone to pick. I have a pet peeve. And it, it's around this word called theology. So let's look at theology. What does ology mean? Y'all been to college or you, you listened in, in high school anyway? Ology means the study of, right? What is theos? God. Okay, so, do you not think that that is the most arrogant word ever thought up by man? Exactly how are we supposed to study God? How many of you have seen Him? Nobody. I really am at odds with that. Because this whole scientific process... That's a scientific word, theology. Scientific secularism has its tentacles in the church and it's squeezing the life out of us. I don't like it. We need to be free from that. Science, y'all know what the definition of science is? I was a science major in college. Science, the definition of science is a systemized body of knowledge derived from observation. How can you, y'all like my accent, science? There's three or four 
three or four, what do you call them things? Syllables in there that most people don't use. Y'all the ones talk funny, not me. <laughs> Here's the thing. Most people that I run across in the church and I preach from coast to coast and border to border in this country and in about four states in Mexico. And most people in this country that I run across they base their relationship with God upon what they believe rather than who they know. And when we get that backwards, it causes some things to kind of go sour and we get lost in the process. And we start having problems like humor without joy. And we get lost in the fact that the ministry that we're involved with, really it, the focus is not the passage of information or doctrine, but the introduction of people to Jesus. Because that's what I spend my life doing. That's what we spend, that, that's what we wrap our work around. That's, that's the struggle that I enter when I go into a dark hut with a dirt floor and a grass roof and no electricity and no running water and they cook on a fire. What am I doing there? I'm trying to introduce them to Jesus. Because the ones of them that really grab a hold to that and, 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 and they start walking according to this pattern when they put their life in order, the order that we're going to be talking about today, extraordinary things start happening. And the person, be, be, Jesus transcends the person and then it doesn't make any difference whether they're educated or not educated. It's not about letters. It's not about literacy. Liter illiteracy doesn't e equal stupidity. It really doesn't. I've learned so much from those people. You know, the what, the content of our belief, the doctrine, the information, the philosophy that we have, it comes best from the who. The who doesn't come best from the what. And we get those things backwards. And so I want to talk about that today. Let's go to John chapter 3. This religious man, a leader of the priest called Nicodemus, came to Jesus at night and he asked him a question. John 3, 2 says, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now that blew this guy's mind. What? Born again? What do you mean? I'm an old man. I can't go back in my mother's womb. I get born again. How come he didn't understand? Because his perspective and his relationship with God was based on what he believed. And Jesus was saying, okay, you got a bunch of information that you don't understand. That's how come you can't hear me. It's because you need, we need to meet. Your spirit needs to come alive. I'm fixing to give you a new life. And so they talked about it and Jesus says in verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at, at my saying, you must be born again. He was telling him, you got the information. How come you don't understand it? You should know this. But let me help you. And I know maybe... This is so elementary. I'm really going to make one point today. This is so elementary, right? Everybody cognitively understands this, don't we? Don't most of you understand? Wow, we have the revelation. We have reformed theology. We have 
2,000 years of compounded knowledge of, of figuring this stuff out. Well, that's the problem. <laughs> John chapter 1. Let's look at that real quick. John chapter 1, verse 12. Actually, let's start at 10. He, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own didn't receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the sons of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Now think about this. Those people that he was talking to, they believed that their birthright made them the children of God, the chosen people. So this was a seriously radical departure. What's he saying? You mean, because I, because I have the right genes and the right blood through, flowing through my, my veins, that doesn't mean anything? Exactly. Because it's relationship with Jesus. It's this born again thing. It's not religion. It's not what sect you're a part of. Not what bloodline you have. Not what doctrine or traditions you adhere to. It's do you know the man? Do you know Jesus? Have you been born again? It's not religion. It's relationship. What does Revelation 3.20 say? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Now what's he talking about? This is the best news in the Bible right here. What do you do when you get together with people that you, that you know or that you want to know? You go out to eat. It unloads pressure. And you spend time doing what? Connecting with each other. You fellowship with each other. You learn about each other. You cultivate a relationship. Right? See, we use this verse so often as a part of the plan of salvation, and it certainly is part of that. But then we kind of somehow, you know, leave it off and, and predestination's got us sort of fooled that, well, we made that decision cognitively, we accepted the right thing, and that makes us in. Well, I'm sorry, that doesn't make us in. Jesus is alive. He's real. And He's knocking at the door of your heart every single day. And the question is, how often every day do you open to Him? It's real. It's not, it's not just... He, he doesn't say, I'm knocking at the door and so learn the right stuff and then you can know about me. It's Him really saying, let me in today. You let him in yesterday, that's good. Today he's knocking again. I want to come in. And so, I think we need to adjust ourselves around that. You see, I know that our success and failure in opening the door versus shutting the door is the difference. There is the root of all success and failure in our lives. It really does boil right down to that. If you do it long enough and consistent enough, either way, that sets your life course. That's the compass that shows you. It really is true. It's about relationship. Look at John 5, 39 and 40. This is... Um, I want us to understand... That Jesus is waiting on more than you working through your devotion and reading a few scriptures every day. Now that's not a bad thing. But if that defines your devotional habit, you're not even alive. Oh, sorry, I'm not supposed to be really intense, am I? It is true though. In the words of Jesus... John 
5, 39 and 40. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so I want us to understand there's a clear, there's a clear difference between studying the scripture and going to Jesus. They can be one and the same. You determine that. But they can also be different. You also determine that. And so somehow, because we're so wrapped up in cognizance and rational thinking and academics, in the 60s, you know, the 60s was the first generation where, in America where we mass-produced college graduates. And there were all kinds of problems that came from that. And I'm not against education. True education. All right, but academic, and, and the church absorbed that. And so it's not automatically the same, separated in your mind. If your studying doesn't lead you to open the door for fellowship every day, then your studying is of no use. That's what Jesus is saying right here. Look, this stuff's talking about me. You're not coming to me. You're learning all kinds of information. So what? Pile it up and burn it. It's no good. If it doesn't help you meet the one who died for you. And so we got all kinds of harsh, mean, spirited people that use the Bible that use the information that's written. You can't be harsh and mean-spirited when you really, really know Jesus. When you really are opening the door. Now, I don't mean you don't have slips and, and I'm not saying you got to be perfect. All right? But if you know you're going to go sit down with Him tomorrow and He's going to look at you and go, why did you say that and why did you do that? You're going to straighten up or you're going to stop going and sitting down with him. Right? It's so true. Man, I'm bruising my own toes here. <laughs> John 1.14 The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus is the Word. The Word that you want so bad. The truth that you want so much in your life. It's wrapped up in the, the living person of Jesus that's knocking at the door of our hearts every single day. Open the door. I don't know how. I don't know. You know, the only thing that the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them to do, you know what it was? Lord, teach us to pray. And so I used to do this prayer school and stuff when we first started in the ministry. And, and really, I wasn't teaching people how to pray. That's the problem. They didn't ask Him, teach us how to pray. That's where we turn religious when we learn forms of prayer. Teach us to pray. Teach us to do it. Help us execute it, Lord. We want to seek you. And we realize that we don't. You see the difference? So, just do it. And if you don't know how, well, that's a good place to start. Lord, I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? It's amazing what will happen if you really will, will, will treat Jesus like He's really real. Because He is. There's nobody like Jesus. All right? John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. All right, now that doesn't say no man comes to the Father if you learn the right stuff about me, if you know the right teaching. You know, and I'm not against teaching about subjects. I got all kinds of opinions. But you know what? I don't have a book on dead raising and healing and all that stuff. And, I, I, and we see it. We've seen thousands of miracles. And we've seen thousands of people get saved over the years. Of every kind. We've had, we've had 
In the last eight years, Jesus has raised the dead eight times. That's extraordinary. We've had people with gangrene healed. We've had people with diabetes healed. We've had blind people healed. We, you name it, we've, we've seen it. But I don't have a big teaching on healing. I don't do that. I introduce them to Jesus. Jesus does what He wants. Jesus does what He wants. I was blind myself. Jesus healed me. How come? Because I, I went to the bookstore and got the book on healing. Nope. Because I know the man. He loves us. He really loves us. He's real. He will do it. He will transform your life. Ugh, now I'm lost. John 14, 15, and 16. So often we think of truth as believing the right thing or knowing the right information. Truth is not information. One plus one is two. That's true. That is a truth. But the truth that the Word of God talks about is not information. Look at what it says in John 14. What did I say? 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. And so it says in John chapter 8, 31 and 32, that the truth will make you free. You think, what's he talking about? Do you think it's believing the right thing? Let me tell you something. If you have a problem that you can't come to resolution with, it doesn't mean that you're going to be punished because you don't know the right teaching. That's not what this is talking about. If you meet Jesus, He'll fix your problems without you understanding how He does it. Because He's real. He really is real. He's alive. And He wants us to open the door. Because here is the order for life. Let's talk about this real quick. I don't know. I feel like I'm lost. Am I all right? All right. The pastor said I'm doing okay, so. Thank you. All right, let's talk about this born again thing. How come Jesus mentioned that? Well, he said that not for his benefit, but for ours. And so he's talking about a new life. And the process in a new life. And that's something we all, we all get, right? Now, how many of you in here, in here have kids? Raise your hands. Okay, a bunch of you. And there's a bunch of you in here that are a kid. And so you get this too, right? You must be born again, Jesus said. So let's think about the life model. There's three basic ingredients that you need to be alive, that a human being needs, three basic things that makes them alive. All right? At birth, when a little baby's born, you got all them doctors and people in there and them special things to make sure the airway's clean because they are concerned about what at the instant of birth? Are they breathing? They don't care whether his nose is in the right place yet or his skin color's right or does he have all his fingers and toes. They want to know, is he breathing? If he's not breathing, they engage some machinery to make sure he can. Isn't it true? All right, so the thing that determines viability at birth is breath. True? In, in the instant. That's the most important thing that's critically important for moment by moment life itself. What happens if the, if the, if the little one's not breathing? He's going to die fast, isn't he? Alright. So after he's born and after they get him all checked out, then what happens? So the first basic element for life is breathing. The second one? Something to drink, right? Isn't it true? 
Don't you have to have something to drink? And then what's the third one? Something to eat. So we got breath, something to drink, and something to eat. Y'all with me? Boy, this is a deep theological lesson going on here. <laughs> Are you with me now? Okay, so let's see which order they fall in order, order of importance. How long can you live without breathing? Three to five minutes, right? Maybe. And then if you go five minutes without air, you got brain damage and all kinds of stuff, more than likely. All right, how long can you live without something to drink? Three to five days, right? More or less, without a sovereign intervention. Moses went 40 days without something to drink, but God was involved with that. All right, and more or less, how many days without food? 40 or 50. Now, all of these elements are essential, but how many of you have ever choked on anything? Raise your hand. So let me guess. While you were choking, you were thinking about that good dessert you, you, that you were eating, right? Or how about that awesome southern sweet iced tea you were drinking? Is that what you're thinking about? You're thinking about, let me have some air. Every, you're, not, you're not thinking about anything except that because you know if you don't get air, you're going to die. Right? Okay, so what determines viability at your spiritual birth? What does Romans 10.9 say? With the mouth, we confess that Jesus is Lord. With the heart, we believe and are saved. Right? Didn't it say that or something like that? Okay. So the very first thing you do that determines your health at birth, the first and most essential thing is you pray. Right? You see that? So if we follow the analogy, prayer is your spiritual breath. All right, so what's the water? Man, y'all are dead. The first, first, first service, they was hollering at me. The Holy Spirit, John 7, 38. He'll give you rivers of living water flowing from within. All right, so what's that all about? That's about the presence of God. That's about worship. That's about being filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's about the indwelling presence of God in our hearts, right? First, you gotta, you got to breathe, and then you got to drink. That's the Holy Spirit. How about food? Now, see there, y'all all know the third answer, right? Okay, so be honest. Ask yourself this question. How many of you are eating even though you're choking? Every day. How many of you are reading the Bible, but you're not really seeking God, you're not really talking to Him, you're not really opening the door because you didn't even realize that that was even a possibility. You thought that this and studying this was equistat to all those other things. It's not. It has its place, certainly. But let's put it in order. we got to seek God every day. We need to cultivate a relationship with Him. We need to open the door. And He wants to come in and interact with us apart from anything else that we do in our devotional habit. That's the first thing that we need. That's the most critical thing that we need. Two-way intercourse with God Almighty. You see, that's the reason Jesus died. It was that that sin separated. It was, that, it was, it was the separation that got us kicked out of the garden. And the reason that God sent His Son was to make that possible again. And so if we, if we ignore that, and if we refuse to engage in that, don't you see that we're trampling on the death of the Son of God? If that's His reason for sending His Son to give His life so we can know Him, and the provision and the door's been open. Walk through it. Because there's more. There's more that you can fathom. There's more than I can fathom. He has no limits. He is real.
and the understanding that will come to you about what is written will astound you and everybody around you. Oftentimes, I have groups come and they listen and we translate for our pastors that some of them are totally illiterate. And they go, who taught them that? They look at me, well, you've done a good job. I didn't do nothing. I introduced them to Jesus. I got them to seek Jesus. They know the living word and they're astounded at the truth they hear them speak. It's not because we've built a Bible college that covers every jot and tittle. See, I'm smiling. See that? It's because we should introduce them to Jesus. And Jesus reveals to them in a, in a living way. It is incredible. All right, so let's get things in order. Why don't we make a deal with God? Okay, God, you realize I'm not doing y'all any favors. This is the hardest thing that, that you can ever attempt is to put this in order and do it over time. Hell will fight you more about this than anything else. It's true. Seek God every day. Prayer is communication with God, communion with God. Number two, it's worship. How many of you like to worship? Raise your hands. I know you do. All right, but how many of you do it regularly in your house? You know, this presence that's here, it's awesome, right? It really is. You can have that in your living room. You can have that in your house. You can have that in your bedroom. But it's not going to happen unless you start drinking. Now, don't you need to drink every day really, really to be healthy? To be satisfied? This hunger that you have drawing you back here because of the presence of God here, you can have it. So get yourself some iTunes and some speakers and turn it up loud. <laughs> and worship God. It may be kind of awkward, but it'll stop being awkward when the thing that's here making you hungry will come in your house. And then watch what happens when you crack the book and start reading and stuff you, net, you puzzled over your whole life. All of a sudden, wow, that's what that means. Unbelievable. Then you just got to go tell somebody, look what this means. I've read this 50 times. I'm dumb as a post and now I finally got it. And then you read it 10 more times and you think you got it and Pow, it does something else to you. And you see something you never saw before. Because the Word is living. But it ain't going to be living until you meet the man. Until you put things in order. Unless you're breathing and drinking, then can you eat. Wow, that's good preaching. Now I don't know where to go. I know it's about time to be done. I do know there's one more point to make. I'll throw some, I'm going to make two of them. I'm going to make both the points. All right. You know, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer, right? You know that part in there where he says, first of all, he said, pray like this. He didn't say, pray these words. All right. And I want you to go look at it because it might mean something more than just the recitation of dead words. But you know in there where he says, give us today our daily bread, you know he's not talking about Cheerios, don't you? <laughs> Only. That gets covered. But you get another, another verse for that. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added. That's where the Cheerios come from. <laughs> John chapter 6, verse 32, Jesus starts talking about bread from heaven. And He makes a direct connection to Exodus chapter 16, where we first see manna falling in, in 
showing up in the desert and God was feeding the nation of Israel in the desert sovereignly. He did that for 40 years. And he said, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. You've been calling that bread from heaven. They didn't know what to call it. Manna means what is it? <laughs> Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. He says right here in John chapter 6, I tell you, I am the bread of life. And don't you see that God, Jesus, when they ask Him, teach us to pray, He said, okay, pray like this. Give us today our daily bread. What's He talking about? He's talking about opening the door every single day. With what frequency does that verse talk about that? Every day. Open the door every day. Because what happened to the manna? Could they hold today's manna and kind of save it for tomorrow? What happened to it? It rotted. And God did that because He's telling us today is the day of salvation. It says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Today is the day. Jesus paid the price that He did. He deserves us to open the door every day. He does. Drive a nail in the ground, make an appointment with God, and fight hell to keep it. Because hell's going to fight you. Just start with 15 minutes. And see what happens. Alright? Because we think, we got to get this. I want you guys to go home and look at Luke chapter 24. And I'm closing with this. Y'all bored? No. Alright. Luke chapter 24. You see, so often, I've watched people make their decisions where they go to church based on how great the pastor is, how anointed he is, how gifted he is, his ability to expound the scriptures. I'm not against those things. I'm, those are great things. Those things are from God. But it is as if inside we believe that our ability to grow and find and encounter God is dependent upon that person's abilities in God. But it's not true. If that's true, then all the people that I get saved have no hope. <laughs> Y'all being kind. Laughing to all my jokes. Here's the thing. Do you think that Jesus died to reconcile a relationship with us, that He's going to entrust that or give that away to some man? He's not. It has a place, but there's no man who can put one ounce of God inside you. You determine that by opening the door. Jesus Himself is the one who transforms. Jesus Himself personally is the one who comes in. Because if it, if it depends on the gifts and talents and abilities and education of the teacher, then them disciples surely would have gotten it from being with the greatest, most anointed, most capable teacher ever to live, Jesus Himself. They spent three years with Him, right? living with him, eating with him, sleeping with him. And when he died, they didn't get it. They were lost, right? Y'all read the story at least, huh? They didn't understand. They didn't know what was happening. They were downtrodden and petrified and frozen in fear because they didn't, they didn't get what he explained to them. Do you think there was a lack of anointing in the Lord Jesus? How about a lack of ability to explain stuff and make it understood? I mean, he can read your mind. Certainly, he can make you understand, right? Right? All right. It isn't about making somebody understand by gifts and talents. See, look. Let's look real quick, and I'm, I'm about done. Luke 24. 
He goes through this road to Emmaus thing. Y'all know the story, right? These guys are walking along, disciples, and everybody's depressed, and everybody's scared, and everybody, nobody knows what's going to happen, and Jesus shows up after he raised from the dead. They say, hey, what y'all talking about? And they're like, are you from Mars? Don't you know what happened? And they said, he said, what? And then... What does he do? He opens the scripture. He starts explaining again. Three years before he died, now he's got got a glorified body and it's after the resurrection. Here he is explaining again. They still didn't get it, did they? What they did was they came to recognize it's Jesus and all this wonder and stuff happened, right? All right, so he disappears. Then, Then they run back to Jerusalem and they're telling, they're telling the disciples the message that the disciples didn't want to listen to from the women, right? Because the truth always doesn't make sense to religion. And so all of a sudden Jesus appears, poof. Alright, and verse 41 says, And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you, you got anything to eat? He's doing that Revelation 3.20 thing, isn't he? You see, because what's fixing to happen doesn't come by studying. It doesn't come by being in the right church. It doesn't come by anything other than this right here. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. He's still explaining, right? Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scripture. And I'm going to tell you what this is not. Just because you're a Protestant and a result of Reformed theology doesn't mean you have this right here. It's not the only way it happens if you open the door every day. And He will speak to you. And He will change your brain's ability to understand. And if He doesn't touch you and change your brain's ability to understand, you will not understand beyond corporate cognizance. And you really want to let your understanding of God be defined by a group of people around you and what's normally accepted? Because there have been lots of mistakes in the name of Jesus made by corporate cognizance. The Crusades were one of them. In the name of Jesus, thousands of people were murdered and raped and destroyed. That's corporate cognizance. Those people weren't opening the door to Jesus and Him changing their brains and giving them the ability to understand. If you don't have an encounter with Jesus personally, you're not going to have it. Breath. Drink. Eat. If we put those things in order and we do that over time, we can stop the monsoon of culture that's drowned in all of us. Because then it won't matter. Jesus loves you. Relationship is the only way that this can happen. Because that's what he died for. Thank you for your attention and your patience. So here's what I want you to do. Just close your eyes for a moment and bow your heads because I want you to listen to the voice of God. Close your eyes. Let God's Spirit speak to you in this moment. I want to encourage you to open the door again. Could be that you're here for the first time and you're just realizing God is calling you, He's speaking to you. And you need to open the door to Him. 
because it's been closed. Maybe you've been attending church every week and uh, you realize today that the door's been closed. You've just been functioning on what you know instead of who you know. And this moment is for you. I want to give every person an opportunity in this room to make a decision. And that decision is to meet Jesus. To meet him in a new way. Maybe it's the first time today or maybe it's the first time in a long time, but I want you to be able to say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward for anything. I, I just want you to make a decision. And I want to pray with you about that decision. So across this auditorium, if you sense Jesus calling you, you he's at the door, he's been knocking, and today you want to open it because it's been closed. I want you just to shoot your hand up in the air and say, yes, pastor, pray with me. Pray for me. Yeah, I see you right here. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah, I see you over here on the side. The door's been closed, but I'm opening it today. I'm making a commitment to Jesus today. Yeah, that's such a good decision. Come on, all over this room, let's pray this prayer together. And I want you to mix this prayer with faith. It's not just the words, but I want you just to say this prayer in your heart. Say it out loud with me. Let's start. Let's let's get this spiritual birthing process underway with this prayer. Everybody across the auditorium, say it with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for introducing him to me. I receive you, Jesus. I believe in your work. I believe in what you did to restore relationship. Forgive me for my sins, all my failures, all my past, living for myself. I want to include you now. I want to open the door to you now. Come into my heart and sit and eat with me. (laughs) I choose you above all else and surrender my life. I surrender my heart. I give myself to you. I want to follow you. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would seal the work of every prayer that was prayed in this place. Lord Jesus, would you just come upon each one of our hearts? Would you lead us on this journey, on this path. Would you help us to open the door every day, to be aware, to be mindful that you are here calling for us. Help us in this relationship with you. We love you. We thank you. You are wonderful. You are beautiful. You're amazing. All your grace, all your mercy in us. Thank you for rescuing us from ourselves and introducing us to power, to anointing, to presence. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.